Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. For the last three weeks, we have started into a series that we call Growing Smaller. And last week we unpacked, we tried to biblically unpack a phrase that we use here at Chestnut Mountain Church a lot. And if you've walked in this morning, you probably saw a little kid maybe holding a sign that said, you belong. You walk in and you see it on the wall over here. It says, you belong, plastered in paint across the wall. Um, If you've received letters in the envelopes, it's entitled, you belong. And so what we tried to do last week is, is we tried to unpack that biblically to help you understand what you belong means and what our heart behind you belonging is. And we looked at a word that that defines and helps us to better see how humans were created and how God wired us. And we used the word belongingness. Many of you thought that wasn't really a word and some of you Googled it and found out that it was. And so some of you say that little redneck, he's making up words. That's a real one. I promise they looked it up and they found out that it is actually a real word. And so belongingness is, is our, it's something that we're wired with that we as humans have a desire to be a part of something. It's something that we want to be a part of. And it's just the way that we're made. It's just the way we're created. And God is the one that created us that way. And so then we began to look in at the birth of the church. We looked in the book of Acts and we, we saw that as the church began in Acts chapter one with 120 in an upper room and we saw that by the end of chapter two, that congregation had already grown from 120 to over 3,000. And then throughout the rest of the book of Acts, we watch as the church was birthed, but not only that, by God's design, we watch the church grow smaller. And what I mean by that is numerically, it was exploding. But what we watched is the church began to spread all throughout the regions in local communities, what we now know as the local church. But that was done by God's design. So as the church exploded, it still grew smaller. And the purpose of it growing smaller is is what we looked at last week is Number one, here, here's, our, here's our heart's prayer behind this phrase, you belong. I want you to understand that it's much more than a marketing um, tool. It's much more than a, than a hashtag, if you would. But you belong is a burden that myself and this team and all of our volunteers, it's a burden and a prayer that we have for each and every one of you sitting in this room. It's a burden and a prayer that we have for our surrounding community. Number one, We want you to belong to God. And that is the very reason that every week you walk in here, you are going to hear the gospel preached. Because as we talk about you belonging in our culture, in our society, we know that belonging to something is compartmentalized. We know that there's walls, there's boundaries. But the beauty of the gospel is that in Christ, there are absolutely no boundaries or no limits to who can belong. 
That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is why we are gonna preach and teach that. So the burden of you belong is number one, we want you to belong to God. But then it's got another layer is if you're here today and you're a believer, we want you to leave here knowing that you belong and you belong so much that, that you will call this place home. That you will call this place home, not because Chestnut Mountain's any better than any other church, but the reality is, is God is gonna call all the believers to a local church. God is gonna call all believers to be a part of a local family by his design. It's not my design, but this is the way God has designed it. And God has placed us here at Chestnut Mountain Church so that we can be a light in this community, so that we can be a light in the world around us. And what we shared last week is that this is a place that you don't have to have it all together to belong. That's where all y'all are supposed to go, amen. (laughs) And the fact is, is if you really think you have it all together, this is probably not the place for you because you're gonna look around real quick and figure out, man, these people don't have it all together. I have which is the leader that has it not together. So if you think you have it together, this is probably not the place for you. But what this place is, is a people who are gonna chase after the heart of Christ, who are gonna pursue him with everything we have. And our prayer is, is that this local congregation, that this people that don't have it all together becomes a a refuge and a safe place for you. That we can roll up our sleeves together and say, you know what? That's the one place that I'm okay to be me. I'm okay to not be okay when I walk in the, in the walls of that church. But you know, I've been reading a book and it's called Rediscovering the Church. And it, and it kind of compares the parallel of a, of a local church to, a, to an embassy in a foreign country. An embassy is officially sanctioned outpost of one nation inside the borders of another. And so Peter refers to us in the New Testament as as strangers in a foreign land, that this is not our home. And so what we want this place to be, what we want this local gathering to be is an embassy in a foreign land. We want this to be a refuge that you can come and that you can experience something that's not of this world. We want this to be your safe place. We want this to be your security. And as you enter in to what we call this place as like an embassy in a foreign land, there should be several things that you experience. You should experience comfort. You should experience security. And you should experience peace. And the culture that is, is inside of this building, the culture that is inside this local family, The culture in here needs to be different than the culture that is outside of here. Because remember, as a follower of Christ, as a believer, this world is not our home. I don't know about you, but I am thankful that this mess called world is not my home. We were called to something much higher as a follower of Christ. But what this place is, is a refuge and a safe place to where we can come and worship the one that makes this possible.
together as a broken people striving after the heart of the Savior. And so also there's, there's something that we've really become burdened of over the last few months. There's a culture that I know that from a leadership perspective, there's a culture that we're responsible to cultivate. And that culture that we're responsible to cultivate should be that of one that fuels God's design of growing smaller. Whatever God, God calls us to do, it should be fueling the heart of what God's heart is for his church. Because the one thing that I've realized is, look, I love you. I love this body. But my love for you doesn't compare to God's love for you. And so when God knows what's best for his body, that's what we're gonna teach. That's what we're gonna preach. That's the culture that we're gonna attempt to cultivate because it's what he's designed and, and what he's designed is for us to grow smaller. You know, we ended last week with a question. We ended last week with a question as to what will we do as a local church as our numbers grow? Numerically, as we begin to, to grow, what are we gonna do? How are we going to grow smaller? How is that gonna be possible? Because you realize that you can come into a room that's this full, you can come to the 1045 and, and it could be this full and you can think, man, I am so connected into church. But the truth is, is if we're not doing life with people, you can come in and leave just as disconnected no matter how many people are in this room. And so what we've gotta do as a leader, what God has called us to do here as this staff, as this team, as these volunteers, is to create and cultivate a culture for us to grow smaller. Because this is a burden that I have and it, and it breaks my heart that someone would ever walk on this campus and feel disconnected and leave in the same condition that they came. Church, that's on us. That is on us, that nobody ever should step foot on this campus and feel isolated and leave this campus feeling isolated. So what we've gotta do is we've gotta to attempt to grow a culture that fuels God's design to grow smaller. And so what we're gonna to do today, we're gonna to be looking in a very, very strange place in scripture to, to look at God's design and what God is teaching. I want you to turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 18 and Exodus chapter 17. No, we're not gonna preach through both chapters, but we're just gonna go back and forth between these just a little bit. And what we're gonna do is look at an example today in scripture where Moses was being obedient to what God had called him to do. But all the while in his obedience, God is continuing to teach Moses some things about how he's going to accomplish what he had for him to do. And so I want you to start looking in chapter 18, verse 13. And we're gonna just very quickly look at this first verse and then it's gonna put us back in chapter 17. Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. And it came about the next day. I want you to highlight, underline, circle that phrase, next day. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood about Moses from the morning 
until the evening. We bring attention to that phrase next day because it's very, very important. What it's referring to is the very next day is, is referencing that Moses has just returned home from doing what God had called him to do. He was leading the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt and he had just returned back home. He had been doing God's work, but not only was he doing God's work, but God had been teaching him how to do his work. And what I mean by that is what Moses was learning was that in order for God to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish through Moses, Moses had to learn to depend on the people that God had placed around him to accomplish that. Because you see, that's what we're gonna be talking all about today is God has called all of us to do something and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but, but God has not called you to do whatever it is that he's called you to do alone. God has called you to do what he wants you to do, but he's also providing the resources and the people around you that you need in order to fulfill what he's placed in front of you to fulfill. And so that's what Moses is gonna be learning about. Moses is gonna realize that I'm gonna need help if I'm going to accomplish what God has placed on my heart to accomplish. And so look at verse, or go back to chapter 17. It's like my Bible, it's just one column to the left. You don't even have to turn the page. In Exodus chapter 17, and this is what it's referencing in, to, in talking of the very next day. This is what he's just returning home from. But in Exodus chapter 17, verses nine and 10 is where we're gonna start reading. Verse nine, it says, so Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him and he fought against Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up onto the top of the hill. And so what we already see is we see that the family of God, the children of Israel led by Moses is instilling God's design of growing smaller. We see already an example of where Moses is learning, okay, in order to accomplish this, in order to fulfill what God has placed in front of me, which is to lead the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, we're gonna have to grow smaller if we're going to accomplish that. And so we see that from the beginning, it says Moses tells Joshua, hey, Joshua, I want you to choose for us some men. In that group of men, you're gonna go fight Amalek. So Joshua, as you lead that group, Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take a very small group up to the top of the hill. And so here we already see Moses is leading a group and Joshua is leading a group. Now I wanna pause just a moment right here and I want us to, to just look at this through the lenses of, of leadership, if you would. If you're a believer, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've placed your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins and you are part of the family of God. What I want you to hear this morning is that every single one of you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you right now in your current state are leading something. Every person in this room, you are leading something. Dad, you're leading your home. Mom, 
You could be leading your children. CEO, you're leading your company. School teachers, you're leading your classroom. Coaches, you're leading your teams. Big brother, you're leading your little brother. Big sister, you're leading your little sister. But all of us, as a follower of Christ, have been entrusted to lead something. But what we already see is, is we see the contrast of what Moses has been called to lead and what Joshua has been called to lead. Joshua was leading an army to war. Joshua was leading who knows how many people to fight Amalek. But then you got Moses on the other hand, who's leading two people at the top of the hill to pray. I don't know about you, but sign me up for Moses' job. There's a lot less drama in leading two people than leading an army. But the picture that I want you to see is they're both called and placed to lead something. But there's a big difference in what they're called to lead. But what we understand is what we're gonna see in just a moment as we unpack it is what, they're, what one is leading is no more important than what the other one is leading. They're all of the same value because it's what God has put into place for them to lead. So whatever God called you to lead, it could be of a different size than what he's called the person beside you to lead. But it doesn't mean what you're leading is any less important than what the CEO of a, of a thousand member company is leading. You may just be leading the one. You may be just leading your home. But what you've got to do is be obedient with what God has called you to lead. But the point being, is that as a child of God, no matter what you're leading, we're all leading in the middle of a war. As a Christ follower, remember, this is not our home. We're in a foreign land. We are leading into war. We are leading into battle. So whatever it is you're leading, the ones who are following you, you are leading them to war. You are leading them to battle. And if you've ever fought a war, if you've ever fought a battle, what you're gonna realize is that in a war, you're gonna get wounded. In a war, you're gonna get worn out. In a war, you're gonna get heartbroken. And in a war, you could even get angry. There's gonna be times that in this war, in the place that God has called you to lead, you're gonna feel like quitting. You're gonna feel like giving up. You're gonna feel like throwing in the towel because you're so beaten, you're so broken, you're so exhausted that you're gonna think and ask yourself the question, what's the point? I can't keep doing this. I can't keep fighting this war. I can't keep doing this because I feel like I'm never winning. I feel like I'm always losing. And there's going to be days in this journey that you feel like throwing in the towel. Well, I wanna make you feel a little bit better about yourself. I feel like quitting a lot. There's days that I feel like throwing in the towel. But not only me, but on a much grander scale, it's the very same way Moses felt. 
Moses, who was entrusted to lead the children of Israel, God's chosen people out of bondage, went through a season where he didn't have the strength to keep fighting. He didn't have the strength to do what God had called him to do. Look in chapter 17, verse 11, and we'll read part of verse 12, but verse 11, it says, so it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. The first part of verse 12, but Moses' hands were heavy. His hands were heavy. You see, what we have here is an example of a man who's worn out. Because it talks about him raising his hands. And what we know according to the Old Testament it is for someone to raise their hands, this was customary to how they prayed. What it was a symbol of was it was total surrender. It was like, God, I know this can't be accomplished unless you're fighting for us. And so as Moses is on the hill, Moses' responsibility was to have the staff of God and to keep it lifted because the beautiful part of this, as long as it was lifted, the children of Israel were winning. So he was in a spiritual battle. He was spiritually pouring his heart out on behalf of the children of Israel. And as long as his hands were raised, Joshua and the children of Israel were winning. But as the battle continued, Moses was spiritually worn out. You know, I paused to ask the question this morning. How many of you in this room are spiritually worn out? You're spiritually exhausted? You're ready to just to give up? Maybe you've been begging God for salvation in a loved one's life. Maybe you've been begging God to physically heal somebody that you know. Maybe you've been praying for that prodigal child to return home. Or maybe you personally, you've just been begging God to, to give you direction. God, what's my next step? God, what do you want me to do now? God, where do I go from here? Maybe you've been praying about where God would have you to call church home. Wherever you're at, whatever you've been praying for, maybe you're in a season that it seems like nothing's happening and you feel like God is not even hearing your cry. You feel that God has ignored you. You feel that God has turned his back on you and because God is not performing the way that we want him to perform, that he's not doing what we want him to do when we want him to do it, we just feel like, you know what? What's the point? I'm ready just to quit. I'm ready to give up and I'm spiritually exhausted and I just don't know that I can keep doing this anymore. But what we see is while Moses is exhausted spiritually, Moses is trying with everything in him to remain faithful. He's trying everything he knows to do 
to remain faithful. As his arms fall, with everything in him, he just tries to lift them up to trust. As his arms begin to cramp, we wonder, does he try to shake them out? And he's just doing everything he can because he knows that as long as he's surrendering to the Lord, that there's gonna be victory. But he's just at a point that he just can't do it anymore. And we see in verse 12, it says, but Moses' hands were heavy. Then they, the plurality of the church, the plurality of the kingdom of God, then they, referencing Aaron and her, they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady till sunset. His hands were steady till sunset. So what we have here is the picture of a man who is tired of battling. But because of God's design of growing smaller, we see that God's mission is going to be accomplished. What he's teaching Moses is, is I think what a lot of us could learn in this room. I know it's something that I could learn. What God is teaching Moses is it doesn't matter how strong you think you are as a leader. It doesn't matter how big the battle is. It doesn't matter how small the battle is. But the picture that we see here, if you try to do this battle on your own, you will not survive. This is what growing smaller looks like, is that you've gotta have God's people around you to help you accomplish what God has placed in front of you to accomplish. You won't survive without others around you. God didn't create us to be alone. We see that when he created Adam. And I know that's something we always talk about when it comes to marriage. That he looked at Adam and he says, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. While all the women would say, yes, they're right. He was right. There's no way my husband would survive without me. That is so much deeper. That is so much deeper than marriage. God does not want us as his children to be alone. And maybe you're spiritually exhausted right now. Maybe you're ready to quit. You know, there's so many times in my life where I have prayed and I have begged God to move. And it just feels like he's not hearing me. He's not moving but you know what I'm doing? I'm not looking at his provision the way he wants me to look because what I've realized is there's so many times when God is silent, the very thing he is doing is screaming very loud and clear, Brian, I have the right people around you. You just gotta turn and depend on them. 
That's how he provides provision. It's not the riding in the clouds, but it's the wounded warrior who's sitting to your right. It's the wounded warrior who's sitting to your left. That's who God has insulated you with. And that's how God provides provision so many times is brothers and sisters in Christ who is walking through the same journey that we're walking through together. That's the idea of growing smaller is that we learn to trust those that God has placed around us. But you see, I love this story because it's such a bigger picture than we even read here. Because you see, in order for Moses to accomplish what God had called Moses to accomplish, he had to have Aaron and her to to place the rock up under him so he could sit down. He had to have Aaron and her to hold his arms up because he couldn't do it anymore. So in order for Moses to accomplish what God had called him to do, he had to have the two that were with him. But also you have Joshua who's in the field fighting. Joshua couldn't afford for Moses to quit praying. And so we see how all of that works together that Moses' obedience was a direct effect on Joshua's obedience and Joshua's victory. So we see how all of this is tied in together that the responsibility of Moses was just to surrender to God and ask God to fight for Joshua. But Joshua couldn't afford for Moses not to pray. Because without Moses praying, we saw what happened. When his arms would fall, we saw what happened. The children of Israel would begin to lose the battle. And so there's two questions that I often ask myself when I, when I read this. What would have happened? And look, there's no biblical evidence to back up what I'm gonna ask, so I don't have the answer. But I'm just speaking a hypothetical that I want you to think about. What would have happened if Moses would have went into that battle alone? What would have happened if Moses would have gone onto the hill by himself? He didn't take the two that God had provided to go with him. He said, no, I've got this. What would have happened if he'd have done it by himself or attempted to do it by himself? Potentially, he wouldn't have accomplished what God had called him to accomplish. And therefore, because he didn't accomplish what God had called him to accomplish, it directly reflected in the, the result of what Joshua was doing. So Joshua wouldn't have been able to accomplish what God had placed for him to do. So what if he had gone by himself? But secondly, here's another question. And I speak specifically to men right here, because I think this is the biggest one that every man in this room probably struggles with, myself included. What if Moses hadn't let him help? What if Moses had not let them help? Look, men, we are by nature prideful. We by nature think we don't need help and we think if we call for help, we think if we lean on somebody else that it's a sign of weakness. But what if Moses, when they scooted the rock up under, up under him to sit down, what if he said, no, you know what? I don't need your rock. I've got this. 
What if Aaron and Hur came beside him and grabbed a hold of his arms and tried to lift them up? And he said, would y'all get off me? I don't need you. You see, that's exactly what the enemy wants every man in this room to do. The enemy will whisper in your ear, you don't need these people. You don't need this family of God. You know what, even to take it a step further, the enemy's gonna tell you, you don't even need to trust in Jesus. You can be good enough to save yourself. That's weak if you depend on what another man has done for you. There's no doubt there's men in this room right now in here that you think you have the power to save yourself and you think that you can be good enough to earn the love of God. Can I go ahead and tell you it is an impossibility and if it were it not, then God would have never had to send his own son to do what you could not do for yourself. And so what we have to do as men, number one is we've got to depend on Jesus Christ to save us because you can't do it. But then in our journey of following Christ, there's going to be days that, man, you're gonna need help. You're gonna be tired of fighting for your marriage. You're gonna be tired of fighting for your kids. You're gonna be tired of trying to lead in the way that God has called you to lead. But God places men around us. You know, this Thursday morning, this is not a plug, I didn't even mean to say this, but this Thursday morning, men, we're gonna get back together in this room this week starting at 6 a.m. on Thursday mornings. Some of you are going, do what? Amen. Yeah, we're gonna to gather together in this room at 6 a.m. You'll be out of here by 6.59. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna sit in circles with other men who are in the same shape we're in. That we're just trying to lead the way that God has called us to lead. And we're just gonna sit together. We're gonna break bread, drink some coffee and talk about Jesus. But I can promise you, if you will be here at six o'clock this Thursday morning, you will leave different than you do when you walk in. Because you're gonna realize, you know what? God is placing men around me to help me. So first and foremost, what you gotta do is say, you know what? I've gotta be willing to let men help. I've gotta be willing to let men help. But what if you're here, I wonder if you're here today and are you letting God's people help you? Not just to the men, to the women, to the teenagers. Are you letting those that God has placed around you walk along this journey with you? And this is the very reason that we're encouraging you to grow smaller. This is the very reason that by God's design, we're leading you to do what, what, how he's designed us to do life, not to do it alone. But we see what happens when Moses swallows his pride, when Moses allows God's people to come alongside and put the rock under him, that he comes alongside and helps him hold his arms up. We see exactly what happens. The victory is won. But in order for the victory be, to be won, Joshua could not afford for Moses to stop. 
moms and dads. You realize your kid, your child can't afford you to stop. Your child can't afford you to stop praying. Your child can't afford for you to not let people help you. Your child can't afford for you to not allow someone to put the rock under you when you feel like giving up because there's no doubt in my mind, there's parents in this room right now that you are so tired of trying to lead your child. You're so tired of praying for your child that you don't know if you can even continue doing it. But I beg and I plead with you that just the same way Joshua could not afford for Moses to stop, your child can't afford for you to stop. You keep praying. You keep surrendering that child to him. Because we see that if we will remain faithful, then in verse 13, we see that the victory is coming. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek with his people with the edge of the sword. Victory always follows faithfulness. Victory always follows faithfulness. The victory may not look like you think it should look, but victory in Christ always follows faithfulness. Moses remained faithful because of those who were around him. It's that simple. He remained faithful faithful because those who were around him. This victory was provided in chapter 17 because they grew smaller. This victory was provided because they grew smaller. And so now we look at Moses in a different situation. Remember, he's just experienced this victory. Not only has he done what God has wanted him to do, but he's done it how God has wanted him to do it, depending upon those who were around him. But then we see in chapter 18, so go back to where we started. Chapter 18, verse 13. And it came about the next day then Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. Now when Moses, the father-in-law, saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as a judge and all the people stand about you in the morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me and they inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, it comes to me and I judge between a man and his neighbor and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Now look, we're not gonna get really caught up into to what Moses' responsibility was, but what we are gonna think about is the fact that Moses had given, been given another task by God. He had another responsibility. And so we see that he was placed over the children of Israel as the judge. And so what would happen is that the people would line up if they were in an argument and they would come to Moses and according to God's law, they would expect Moses to settle their dispute. 
Now, many scholars believe that there were upwards of 2 million people that Moses was leading. And so here, Moses, keep in mind, here's what I want you to really think about this morning. He's just experienced victory by God's people being around him. He's just experienced victory in the task that God had given him by trusting other people to help him. And now all of a sudden, God has given him instruction again. And the very next day from his return, he forgets how the victory was provided before. The very next day, he finds himself isolated once again. So, so quickly, he forgot how God provided the victory. You know, for all of us in this room, we can think back through the journeys in our life of following Christ and we can look back at those victories and we can think back on the people that God has placed around us. We can think about a small group. We can think about a group of people that we were meeting at Kurtz for Bible study in the morning. We can think about all of those people that we've surrounded ourselves with and all of the victories that have been won as a result of that group. Can I go ahead and tell you, there's gonna be a season where God places something else in front of you and the enemy's gonna put you right back where you were to begin with and he's gonna tell you that you can do it by yourself. Even though you've experienced victory, it's so easy to forget how the victory was won. So I know for, for so many over the last couple of years, you think back in your journey with Christ you can think back when you were the healthiest as a follower of Christ that you've ever been. It's when you were plugged in, it's when you were connected. But over the last two years, for all the chaos that's been going on in the world, what you do is you find yourself all alone again. You find yourself by yourself again. And that's exactly what Jethro, I just love saying that, that's his father-in-law's name, who does not listen to a guy named Jethro. My father-in-law is named Jethro. I am listening to Jethro. But Jethro comes to his son-in-law and he's saying, look, what is it that you're doing? You're doing this all alone. You're never gonna survive. And that's what he goes to, to unpack in all of that. So here's the thing I want you to think about. Again, Moses is doing what God has called him to do. So Jethro is not upset with the what he's doing, but he's addressing the how he's doing it. When we're doing what God has called us to do, that's admirable. I tip my hat if you're doing what God has called you to do. Praise God you are. But I would take it a step further and ask you to examine, yes, I'm trying to be obedient, but how is it that God wants me to be obedient? It's not the what, it's the how. Because all of us in this room, we all wanna be obedient. We all wanna lead our home, we all wanna lead our family, we all wanna lead our workplace and all of that is admirable. But can I tell you how some of you are trying to do it? You're trying to do it alone? And according to God's design, it will not work. I know that's very blunt. I know that's very black and white, but the truth is, is God has designed us to go to war with other people. 
not by yourself. And look at what Jethro, I just love saying that, sorry. What he says in verse 17 and 18. Moses, the father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. You're doing it alone. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. So church, if you haven't heard me today, first I wanna tell you I love you. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. And if the truth offends you, then it's offensive of what God has designed for you to do. The truth is always offensive. But I love you enough to tell you, I want you to hear my heart. I want you to hear my heart this morning the same way that this father-in-law is pleading with his son-in-law. I want you to hear me when I tell you this this morning, this Christian life that you are trying to lead, you cannot do it alone. You can't do it by yourself. I don't care what the enemy tells you. I don't care what the enemy tries to persuade you to do. I'm telling you that according to God's word, you are not designed to do this journey alone. And I love you enough to tell you that if you keep trying to do it alone, you're gonna wear out. You're going to wear out. The task that you're trying to accomplish is way too heavy. You can't do it by yourself. You gotta let people help you carry the load. One of the most simple analogies and I shared this back two or three years ago. I remember I was on vacation with a, a group from, from the church that we were serving at. It was our church family. And, and every day we would load the cooler up. And I was so proud I'd saved up all my grass cutting money and I'd bought me my first Yeti. Yeah, huh, exactly. And so I was so proud of this thing and, and we would load that thing up with drinks every morning. And everybody would say, hey, Brian, you want us to help you carry it? Nope, I got it. A Yeti's heavy without anything in it. But for five days, I labored by myself picking up this heavy cooler full of drinks, full of ice, full of bricks, full of rocks, whatever everybody else put in this thing. And I strained with everything I had in me every single morning to carry this cooler to the beach. Every day, my friends offered to help. Every day they said, Brian, why don't you let us, I got it. Because it was my cooler, it was my load to carry. It was my burden because I was the one that had purchased it. It was mine. I don't need help. 
I've got this. And then finally, on the very last day, David Riley, who was up here just singing a moment ago, he said, would you please let me help you carry the stupid cooler? I said, oh, okay, David. I grabbed a handle. He grabbed a handle. I got to the beach. I had not even broken a sweat. I had not said anything bad. And I thought, you know what? That was available this entire time but I was too prideful to let somebody else grab the other handle. There's so many of you this morning that you need to get over yourself and let somebody grab the other handle because you're not created to carry the weight alone. You're not created to carry the burden alone. You say, well, it's my mess, it's my mistakes. I'm the one that's created this disaster. It doesn't matter. That's what family does is we help carry messes together. But church, I love you enough to say if you're trying to do it by yourself, you're gonna wear out. The task is too heavy. And I know some of you are going, okay, I get it. I get it. But Brian, what do I do? What do I do? You do exactly what Jethro advised Moses to do. You get the right people around you. Notice I said you get the right people around you because you do know that you can get the wrong people around you. Make sure that you get the right people around you and that's what he tells him in verse 21. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. You see the design of growing smaller? He said, Moses, if you keep trying to lead the millions, it's not gonna work. You've got to get a group of people. One, one man can help lead the thousands. One man can help lead the hundreds. One man can help lead the fifties. One man can help lead the tens. But Moses, you can't do it. You've got to let other people in. Moses, you've got to let somebody else pick up the other handle of the cooler. You've got to let people in. And so for us as a church, what we've got to do to grow smaller is we've got to take a big group of people and we've got to be intentional about growing smaller. And the culture that we want to cultivate here is that we want you connected in a group. We want you connected in, in a much smaller environment than this. Yes, I love crowds. I love a full room, but there's nothing I love more when I hear that a small group is growing so much that they're going to have to multiply, that they're gonna have to start another one because it's just getting too big. Praise God. We've got to get to a place where we as a church are reproducing leaders, where we're reproducing classes because the truth is, is we're gonna continue to grow and one of the hardest groups to break into is one that's already established. 
So what we're gonna do is we're gonna keep launching groups. You say, oh, here we go. That's just that old small group spill. I knew it was coming. You should know it was becoming because it's biblical. You should know that it was coming because it's how God has designed us. The only way that Chestnut Mountain Church is gonna continue to influence our community and the world around us is if we get in touch with growing smaller. If we get connected the way that God has designed us to be connected, small groups are not a strategy, but they're a plan of God. So if you're here today, maybe you've, maybe you received an invitation. I want you to hear this. You were extended an invitation and it's much larger than an invite to church. You were invited into somebody's life to do life with them because there's coming a time where you're gonna need them and they're gonna need you. But are we gonna die to ourselves and let people in? You say, well, well, pastor, are you in a small group? <laughs> yes, I am. And we start back tonight. We'll be meeting in someone's home tonight. And you know what I get to do? You know, you know how much I have to prepare? Zero. I get to go do life with people. Because I know there's coming a time where me and my wife, we're gonna need those people. And there's coming a time in their life that they're gonna need us. But church, the first thing that we gotta do, <laughs> we gotta get over ourselves and realize <coughs> that by God's design, you need people. You need the right people. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.